God, we desire a heart of man, and Lord, just a heart that is open to you and what you have to say to us. God, there are so many things that come against us every single day. There are so many things that attack our mind and attack our soul. God, even our flesh is constantly at war with our soul. God, I just know, I just know, God, that you continue to speak truth. God, it is up to us to tune into your voice and, God, to listen to you. God, to do our best to just continue to pursue you. God, so many times it's so difficult. It's difficult to see you. God, it's difficult to see your presence. God, but you are always there. And I pray that we would always see you. That we would not be blind. That the world would not be successful in blinding us to your presence. God, that we would continue to pursue you. God, even though sometimes it is so difficult to figure out where you are in a situation. Sometimes it is so difficult for us to see exactly where you are in a particular place in our lives God, I pray that we would just have eyes that are open, God, and ears that are open and hearts that are open to exactly what you were doing and how you were speaking and how you were showing us things each and every day of our lives. God, right now, as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would speak to your people. God, in our hearts would be forever changed by what you have to say to us. God, may our hearts just be opened up to you right now. God, be glorified as we look at your word, as we listen to you and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been in the book of Daniel, and we'll continue in there in chapter 2 today. Um, one thing I want to point out is uh, we, we've been in the book of Daniel, and this is from about 605 B.C. to 535 B.C. before Christ. So um, this is a long time before Jesus arrived on the scene, and everybody in, in Jerusalem has been kicked out of, uh, excuse me, all the Israelites have been kicked out of Israel, and the Jews are, are in Babylon, and, and like, it doesn't look good for them. They've sinned against God. They're worshiping all these false idols. And so they're in a foreign place. They're foreigners. They're in a strange place. Have you ever been in a strange place? You ever been in a weird, strange, unusual, unfamiliar place? Now, for some of us, this mean, may mean that you're experiencing something in your life that you've never experienced before. Maybe you have a family member that is sick, and it's a really bad situation. You find yourself in unfamiliar territory. Or maybe you find yourself in a situation where somebody that you love and we're really close to has passed away, and now you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I don't know how I'm going to survive. What I used to depend on, this person I used to be very close to, they used to be my confidant. They used to be my person that I went to every time I had a struggle. Now they're gone. I don't know where I'm going to go now. Maybe it's as simple as you're in a different job or a new town. Maybe this is... Your first time ever coming into Oxford, Alabama, and this is your first experience with Oxford, Alabama. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry that the first person you got to see is me if this is your first time in Oxford, Alabama. But uh, you find yourself sometimes in unfamiliar territory. That's life, okay? That's reality. And one of the things that we see in the book of Daniel is they, these guys that we're really focused on right now, uh, Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah and a dude named Daniel, right? You may know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And these are Daniel's friends. But anyway, so they're in an unfamiliar territory. We're really focused in. We're zoomed in on their lives, and we're looking at what's going on with them right now. And they're teenage boys, and man, it's a struggle for them, right? So God is still present in their lives. He's still working in their lives, but man, it ain't, it ain't exactly easy for them. So I wanted to tell you a quick story. Uh, some of you have heard this story. If you've been around me very long, you know that me and my family spent some time in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I will say that that is more like a foreign country 
Um, to me, I, I have been to Vienna, Austria, and, and I've also been in Munich, Germany, and uh, Boston, Massachusetts seems a lot further away than Austria <laughs> and Germany. Um, I understood the Germans a lot better than I understood the people in Boston. I will say that. Um, I can remember we got off the airplane. The first person we encountered, my little girl looks at a police officer. He looks at my daughter. He said, we, we'd actually, we wanted it to be a big surprise for Kenneth, so we rented a limousine to take us to the hotel. So we had arranged for that. And uh, the, uh, the police officer looks at my daughter and says, ah, you're going to ride in the big guy, eh? <laughs> and she looks at him. And she, she thinks, well, this is a police officer. I can trust him. You know what I mean? Like, he's not cussing at me, obviously. So, and then she, like, looks over at me like she has no idea what that man just said. Ah, so you're going to ride in a big car, eh? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I said, he said, oh, so you're going to ride in the big car. Is that right? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I had to interpret for her what he had just said because it took me a second. I was like, I don't know what he just said. But anyway, so she, she looked at him and she goes, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, she didn't know if she could speak his language or not. So she was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, so anyway, so that was our first experience in Boston. And then, like, so I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people up there don't know anything about Jesus. They don't, like, there's not a church on every street corner uh, and if there is a church, it's usually an apostate religion. It's not real Jesus. So anyway, so it's really hard to find real Christians up in Boston. I mean, I don't mean to, to be negative about Boston and the way it is in the north. It's just the reality. It's interesting that our forefathers came into the country, devout followers of Christ, and, and that's where they started in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And then like it all just went downhill from there. And now it's one of the most ungodly places in our country. It's very interesting that that's happened there. But anyway, so... Um, I'm there, and I'm not a big Christian t-shirt wearing guy. Uh, some of you have heard me tell this story, so you know where I'm going with this. But I, I had on a Christian t-shirt, and it said something about Jesus' blood on it, and it had a cross on it, something like that. So, and I was just hanging out at the subway stop there in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, subways are not the friendliest places in Boston, and certainly not the best place to hang out. Is You don't really want to hang out around the subway stops a lot. Um, but I was there, I was waiting on the subway to come, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, and nobody's there, so I'm by myself, and, um, you know, I having to wait at the bottom of the subway ramp, they haven't opened the doors to let anybody come in, so it's kind of uncomfortable anyway, you know, I'm not in the best part of town, and I'm like, eh, okay. So then I, I, I look up, and uh, this dude locks eyes with me, and he must be like, in my mind, he's 10 miles away from me, but he's probably like 200 yards away from me, right? And he's riding a bicycle, and he, got, he was off his bicycle, and he looks at me, and then he gets on his bicycle and starts riding towards me, right? So I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm not going to make eye contact with him. I'm going to look over here, you know? I'm just like, whoo, yeah, look at the tall buildings, you know, and I'm just kind of hanging out, and, you know, and then I glance back, oh, no, he's coming towards me. That's what I didn't want to happen. I tried not to make eye contact with him, but he's coming towards me. Look over, it's like, oh, yep, he's still coming. He's still there. He's staring right at me. He's not taking his eyes off of me. I don't know why he's staring at me. So he rides his bicycle right up. I mean, he's right up in my face. He's right up in my grill, and he looks at me. He goes. He gets off his bicycle. I'm like, okay. I, I, I'm looking around for something I got to fight with. You know, I need a shank or something. I'm like, I got nothing, man. <laughs> I want to fight him with my shoe or something. I'm not sure what I'm going to have to do. But uh, he hops off his bicycle, and I'm like, all right, bro, we're ready to go. I'm ready. I'm going to rip my shirt off something. We're going to go right here at the subway stop, whatever it takes. I'm going to defend myself. You ain't going to take me down right here. He looks at me. He looks me up and down just like that. He goes, 
that make you wear that shirt? And I'm like, I, I look down, I forgot what shirt I had on, my Christian t-shirt, you know. And he goes, they make you wear that shirt? I didn't, I didn't have a clue what he's talking about. First of all, I didn't know who they were, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> who are they and why are they making me wear a shirt? I don't know. Uh, I didn't know how to respond to the guy. And I was like, oh, I said, Man, no, I'm, I'm a Christian, and uh, that's why I wear this shirt. And I was like, okay, well, now, now he's really going to stab me. You know what I mean? Like, now it's, you know, he, he's, he's got some kind of gun or something. Now it's going down. So I, so I said, I'm a Christ follower. I, I, I pictured myself like, you know, this, hey, this is going to be my last words. What am I going to say? You know, here it goes. And I said, I'm, I'm a Christian, man. That's, that's why I wear this shirt. No, no, I said this. I said, nobody makes me wear this shirt. He looks at me. He goes, that's all right. Like that. And then he hops back on his bicycle and he leaves. I was like, whew, thank you, Lord. Apparently you were present here in Boston, Massachusetts. I did not think you were anywhere to be found. Apparently you're at this subway stop right here. But it was the most weird, unusual experience I think I've ever had. And I was, you talk about being in unfamiliar territory. I was in a weird place in Boston. I did get more familiar with it as time went on. We spent about two months there. Um, and I got, you know, familiar with the subways and stuff like that. I will tell you another quick story because this is really funny. So, uh, so Cassie was with me, and, and, and like, she was, she was really young at this point. She was, like, four years old, and uh, Cassie was at the hospital with Kenneth, our other daughter, and, and she was getting chemo treatment. So I had Cassie, and we were at the, the hotel, and, and we were going back to the hospital to go where they were. So... You know, I'm on my phone, I'm talking to Cash, and I got Cassie by the hand, and I'm like, you know, we're just chilling, and we hop on the, we hop on the subway, y'all, and I I'm, I'm sit down, and then I look up, and I look to my left, and I look to my right, and every person I, I see has got their, their full-on blood, crip, gang wear on, like, I mean, they, every person on this subway car is covered up in their gang attire, right? And I, I, I like... I mean, I am shaking. Like, like, I thought the one dude was bad. Now I got 60 of them on this one car with me, and I'm sitting in the middle of them, you know? And I'm like, this ain't good, you know? <laughs> like, I am so, I'm holding on to Cassie. I'm like, Lord, if you could just, I, you know what, I'll just, I'll just kick her off the train. You know, she has a better chance if I just throw her out the window or something, you know, like, like, we'll just spare her. I'll chunk her out the window or something. So I'm, and I'm talking to Cassie, and I'm like, uh... Hey, and I, of course, once again, I do the no eye contact thing. I just look down at the, the floor of the subway, you know, and I got Casty, and I'm praying and blah, 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 you know, and, and I'm like, hey, um, I'm going to let you go. She's like, what? Is everything okay? I, yeah, it's fine. I, I, I got I to go. I got to go. <laughs> you know, and uh, she's like, okay, all right. So I just sit there and I like, I'm looking down. I got Casty by the hand and I'll, she's like, I was like, this is our stop. We're getting off next stop. She's like, this, we just got on, Danny. Is this our stop? Yes, this is our stop, baby. Um, <laughs> next one, this is ours. She's like, but Danny, we just got on. It's shut up, it's our stop, okay? <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, and I, I finally, I get the courage to raise my eyes up because I wanted to see, you know, which one of these guys was going to kill me. I at least wanted to, like, be able to identify him or something in case I did survive. So anyway, so I'm like, I glance up, and there's this dude sitting right across from me. And he realizes what I have realized, that I am in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he just busts out laughing. He just, 
he is, he is like putting his head down and he's just chuckling because he knows I am scared out of my mind. So um, nothing happened. I'm thankful to say, obviously, Jesus was on that subway car. There, there's something holy about the subway in Boston, Massachusetts, I can tell you, because I survived. Once again, we got off the subway. I don't, I don't know where we were. It didn't matter. We weren't on that subway car, so it was all good. Uh, but that was definitely an uncomfortable situation um, there in Boston. It was just, it, it's, it's a crazy place. And, you know, I, I remember it very distinctly. Some very interesting things happened there. But one thing I, I just want you, and now I'm gonna, as time goes on through this story of Daniel, I'm going to tell you some other stories about Boston, Massachusetts, and how faithful God has been to me. And I have seen God's faithfulness. One of the things that really jumps out to me in the book of Daniel is that these guys are in difficult situations. They're in a foreign land. They're strangers in the places they're in. And, but but what, they, what you see is they remain faithful to God and God continues to do things in their life. God continues to, to he's working things out. Now, it's not always immediately obvious to them that God is doing something. All they know is they're supposed to be faithful to God, listen to what God is saying, and then the end result is kind of up to Him. Now, we have the ability to look back and say, oh, man, that's 605 years before Christ. You know, like, man, it is so cool reading this book and, and reading what God has done and reading about how good and faithful God is. They didn't have that luxury. They had their lives and where they were at that moment, and they were standing in front of a king that would cut their heads off at a moment's notice and not bat an eye about it. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy for us to look back in hindsight and say, man, God is so faithful, man. It is so cool how they trusted God, and they knew, they knew that it was going to work out in the end. No, they didn't. They didn't have the end of the story like we did. You know what I mean? All they had was their faith and, and their God, and that's all they knew. Well, in your life and in your story, I want you to know that you cannot see the end result. You can't see the fact that God is working out a story, that God has got a plan, a purpose, that he's doing all these things. He's fitting this giant puzzle together and all the pieces are coming together. You just can't see them right now. All you got to do is the same thing that, that Daniel did. It, it, that is, you just hang on to God. You say, I don't understand it right now, God. I don't, I'm not at peace right now. I'm so upset right now. And everything seems like it's in chaos. I'm in a foreign place. I've never been here before. I don't know what to do. And I would just encourage you to know this. To know this, that you've got a God who has got every single thing within his control. Okay? Now, some people, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. Listen to me. Listen to me. Some people, they, they, they misuse that. Okay? And, and here's what they say. So somebody will be struggling with something, and, and, and they'll say, this is what they'll say. I'm not saying this is a bad thing to say. I'm just saying I want you to know that this is what happens. So somebody will be saying something, and they're struggling. They're saying so-and-so died, and, and I'm really hurting. And why would God let something like that happen in my life? Why would God? And, and you go, and, and I've said this before. I'm not saying anything wrong with it, but I want to tell you there's another piece to this puzzle. You say, well, I don't completely understand it, but I know that there's a God who's in control, right? So we say there's a sovereign God. He's in control. He knows every single thing that happens. He's in control. And we find rest and we find peace in that, okay? But the thing that you also need to say is, this is what I know from my personal experience. It's that that same God that's got every single thing within his control, within his power, within my life, within his very hands... That's the one I go to when I'm hurting, and that's the one I go to that gives me peace. And if you don't have him, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you don't know him, then you'll never know that peace that I know. See, it's one thing to know that there's a God out there that's sovereign, but if you don't know who he is, then it doesn't matter to you. 
You see, that's the piece that oftentimes we're missing. We go to somebody and we say, oh, but there's a God who's in control. That's no good because they don't know who he is. The only thing you can do to him is say, look, look, I know that he's got a plan for my life. Because I know him. I talk to him. I put everything in his hands. I put my whole faith and my whole trust in him. And no matter what happens, I'm at peace. I don't have to worry about it because... I know who he is. I know who he is. I don't just know what he does. I know who he is. My question to you, as we look at the book of Daniel, is we see God at work. We see God doing amazing things with these guys that are faithful to God. They're faithful to God because they know who he is. My question to you is very, very simple. Do you know who he is? Do you not just know that he's in control, but do you know who he is? Who is he to you? Jesus put it this way. Who do you say that I am? I know what everybody else says. I'm asking you, sitting in your red seat where you are, who do you say that I am? Because that's what will matter at the end of the day. You see, if you truly trust that God has a plan, that he's going to settle everything at the end of this world, at the end of eternity, that he's going to split everything apart and say, good's going over here, bad's going over here. If you don't know him, then you've got to know which place that you're going to be in. See, that's a terrifying experience to know all that information. But if you don't know him, man, you know that where you're going to go is an ultimate demise, ultimate separation from God. So who do you say that he is? It's all your faith and all your trust in him. And if it is, then you can have the peace and the comfort of knowing that God's going to make everything right in the end. If you don't, then it should terrify you. You should be scared to death. Now, I want you to know that in the book of Daniel, there's lots of prophecy here. And I'm not going to... Man, I, I, look, y'all, I mean, we could spend six months going through the prophecy that's just contained in chapter 2. Okay, I'm not even kidding. Like, there is so much here. I want you to understand that that Daniel is kind of like the Old Testament version of the book of Revelation in the New Testament. There's so many things here, and we could get into it. Mean, I mean, I could, all I could do is speculate about what, what God is showing us in Daniel chapter 2 versus what we see in current times. Now, I know that there are guys, there are preachers that will spend all day, every day talking about that. They will spend years going into, well, this particular passage and this particular instance right here this is how it lines up with what's going on in the european union right here and this is how it relates to rome and and these are the the 10 people that it relates to and the 10 kings and the 10 horns and revelation chapter 17 and they will go on and on and on about this stuff and that's fine if you want to study that there really is that's okay if you're really into that but i want to tell you this the overarching picture is what's important to me And here at Simple Church, I don't really want to dive into all the details besides to tell you this, that there are kingdoms that will come and go. There are good people that will come in, bad people that will come in. They will have rule and reign in certain areas, but ultimately God's in control. And that's what we see in the second part of Daniel chapter 2. So I'm going to go through this kind of quick. We know that in Daniel chapter 2, wow, man, I've already been, I've already started this. I mean, I just started and it's already been a long time, so... Yeah, it'll have to be all right, y'all. So hang on. Anyway, Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 24, says, Daniel, what has happened here? The king had a dream. He doesn't know uh, what the dream means. He goes to his wise men. The wise men don't know what it means because he won't tell them what the dream is. 
He says, man, if you can't tell me what the dream is, how are you going to tell me what it means? I mean, if you're supposed to be so brilliant, you're supposed to be so wise, you're supposed to be able to read the stars and all this kind of stuff, you should be able to tell me what my dream was, then you could tell me what it means. And they're like, oh, I don't know. And he says, okay, well, if you can't figure it out, then we're just going to kill you all, all right? So then that's the plan, right? So they can't tell him. He says, all right, we'll go have all the wise men killed. Daniel and his boys happen to be one of the, the wise men, so they're on the list. They're on the chopping block to have their heads cut off. Daniel's like, hey, king, if you give me a few minutes, I'll go to God, and he'll tell me what your dream's all about. And then God gives Daniel a vision, shows him exactly what the dream's about, and Daniel starts to praise God. And that's kind of where we left off last week. Daniel starts to praise God. Now, I want you to understand something. And I said this at the very end of last service. Daniel praises God and gives thanks to God before he even knows if he's got the right answer for the king. He's already worshiping God for what he has done, even though he doesn't know that what he's got, the information that has come from God, is really the answer to the king's dream. He's worshiping God, saying, God, thank you for giving me the answer. I know that this is the answer. That's real faith. That's real faith when you can praise God and say, God, I'm praising you just for the answer that you've given me. Just as I've been able to lift up my prayer to you and ask you, I know that you've already got the answer. It's in my life, and I praise you for it, even though you don't know if the cancer's going to go away. Even though you know if the, don't know if the loved one's going to live or die, you don't know that. You just praise God and say, God, I am just praising you because I have faith and trust in who you are. And I know you, therefore I can praise you. Yeah. And that's what we see in Daniel. Daniel's just going and praising God, even though he didn't know the end result yet. God has given him a vision. He's shown him what he has shown him. And now Daniel's got to go to the king and tell him about it. So then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to the king, said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found the one, one of the captains of Judah who will tell you, tell the king the meaning of his, of his dream. So he says, hey, this is one of the Israelites. He's going to tell you what, what your dream means, okay? He says, the king said to Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me that? what my dream was and what it means. So he says, can you tell me not only what it meant, but can you tell me what the dream was? So this is going to differentiate you from all the other guys. They want me to tell them what the dream was, then, I can, then they can tell me what it means. Can you tell me what the dream was and tell me what it means? He says, Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secrets. There is a God in heaven who reveals the secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. So this is foretelling of what will happen in the future. Now, I love the History Channel, okay? Um, I love watching the History Channel. I watch the History Channel all the time that I'm not watching the Science Channel, okay? That's what kind of geek I am, all right? So, uh, but I have watched things where it talks about the book of Daniel, and I want you to understand something here. One of the things that they will say on the History Channel, as I have seen them talk about the book of Daniel, is they will tell you that what, he, what the prophecy that is being shown here is actually prophecy for what will happen in the very near future after King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And it talks about these things that we're going to read about in just a second. It says it's not really telling the future, it's just telling the immediate future. It's not telling the elongated future what will happen in the ultimate time, but it's just telling him what will happen in the immediate time up until the point when Jesus comes. Now, I want to say this. I think that's wrong, <laughs> okay? I like the History Channel, but I think they're wrong in that respect. I think that there is time and time again where God is talking about one thing at the same time where he is talking about something else. 
You know what I mean? When he's talking about being thirsty, he's really not only just talking about needing your thirst quenched, but he's also talking about your desperate need for the, the things of God. When he talks about your hunger for righteousness, man, he's not just talking about this aching in your belly. He's talking about an aching in your heart that is for the things of God. So I think there's always this duality in what God is saying at a particular time where he is talking about right now, but he's also talking about the distant future at the same time. And like I said, as much as I would like to go into the details about all these prophecies and how it ties into what the king's dream meant, I'm not going to do that besides to just kind of point out some highlights here. It says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals the secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now, I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay in your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it's not because I am wiser than anyone else. I know the secret of your dream because God wants you to understand what is in your heart. He says, it's not me. He says, it's not me. Now, when you have gifts that are given by God for the glory of God, that you are able to reach somebody, that you are able to use your gifts to glorify God, do you take glory for them or do you say, it's not me, it's truly God? It's not the ability that God has given me for my glory so that, so that I can be looked at as somebody that's really special. It is given so God can use me to accomplish his purpose long term. And I want you to understand that if God has given you a gift and a talent and ability, the reason it's so important for you to use that is because you're using it for God, not for yourself. If you were using it for yourself, I would say, never mind, don't worry about it. But if you're using it for God, you better use it. You better use it. So in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. The chest and arms were silver and the belly and thighs were bronze. His legs were iron. His feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, the rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck down the, the feet of iron, the clay smashing it to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces, iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on the threshing floor. But the rock that knocked over the statue, knocked the statue down, became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now, I will tell you, king, what it means, your majesty. You, have, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you ruler over all, inhabited, all the inhabited world and, is he, and put wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. So what he's saying here is the reason you have any power whatsoever, King Nebuchadnezzar, is not because of anything you did. It's because God has given it to you. The sovereign God of the universe is in control of everything. The only reason you got anything at all is because God has allowed it to happen. He says, right now, you are the head of this statue. You represent the head of this statue. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise and take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third king, kingdom representing the bronze, will rise uh, to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth, one as strong as the iron. The kingdom will, will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes were... You saw were a combination of iron and baked clay showing that this kingdom will be divided like iron mixed with clay. It will have some strength of iron, 
But while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts may be as weak as clay. The mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. They, but they will, will not hold together as iron and clay do not mix. So you can tell that there's a lot in there, right? So I don't even have to like dig into that for you to know that there is a lot in there. And, and Daniel is telling the king that this is a prophecy of what is to come, that there will be kingdoms to rise and fall and, and Daniel is really pointing here towards the end of everything. He's talking about Jesus' return, ultimately the kingdoms that will rise and fall. And I want you to know something, that as we look in the book of Revelation, as we look at the end times prophecy that comes from Daniel, as we look and look and look, you understand that, that the United States is nowhere in there, right? That the United States, I don't know what happens between now and the end of the church age. All I know is this, is the United States really ain't in there. I don't know if we become our own demise, that we begin to worship false gods and God just kind of does his hand away from us and, and we destroy ourselves. I don't know what happens, but all I can tell you is that the kingdoms that it's referring to here, these 10 kingdoms that it ends up referring to, is actually talking about kingdoms that have been around for a long, long time. And these kingdoms are the ones that's going to be involved in the end times. It ain't got nothing to do with the kingdoms here, way over here where we are. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed into pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true. And its meaning is certain. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, ultimately, there's this rock that comes down. And most people refer to this, that most scholars will agree that this is, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they disagree in a lot of these prophecies, but this is the ultimate kingdom of God coming down. This is Jesus' return. This is when Jesus ultimately returns to the earth to set up his earthly kingdom. This is what's happening here. And this rock is not cut away with human hands. But God himself allows this rock to come down and crush every single kingdom that is currently set up on this earth. And he went back, he said, he said that this also forms a mountain that covers over every single kingdom and covers over everything because it will ultimately rule and reign over this earth, have dominion over the earth. Look how King Nebuchadnezzar responds. So I want you to understand what Daniel has done here. Daniel simply told the king what has happened. He has simply told him, this is a dream you had, and here's what it means. Now, the only evidence that the king has is that he knows what he dreamt. He knows what was in his mind, uh, you know, when he was telling the wise man, go and figure out what this dream means. He, he knows all that. And here this Jew comes, who is way different than all of them, and he starts telling them. He says, you know what, it's not, it's not anything to do with me. I'm not some kind of magician. All I am is somebody that, 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 that is devout to God, somebody that's faithful to God, and God shows me things because he is a good God, and his purposes will be accomplished. And look what King Nebuchadnezzar does. You remember I told you last week that I really believe that King Nebuchadnezzar was calling out these magicians, these enchanters, these soothsayers. He was calling them out saying, I don't think, I don't think your mess is real. I think, I think you're full of it. And we're going we're gonna to expose it. We're going to see if that's really real. And this wicked king that, that, that is not an Israelite, he's not a Jew, he doesn't understand the things of, of this God, he does, he's never heard of it before. Now these guys are being a witness to that one true God. And this wicked king, look what he does. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries. You have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king, this is, all right, hang on with me for just a second. This is where it gets cool, okay? So, then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. You say, okay, that's cool. So Daniel, you know, he was kind of like Joseph. He got elevated to a high position. He was in charge of stuff. He was in charge of the whole province of Babylon. That's cool. Um, yeah, it is. It is. And you think about the fact that now Daniel, who's a Jew, he's an Israelite. He now has influence over the kingdom, right? Kind of like Joseph did, you know? I mean, like, or Esther did. You know, now they got influence. These Jewish people, God is at work. God is, is using them to have influence and this wicked king now has, has come to an understanding of who God is, which is a great thing. We, we, it's like we've got a conversion going on here, and that's an amazing thing. But I want you to know that God, even though we see this little bitty picture of what, what God is doing through Daniel, there's a bigger picture of what's going on here. There's a much bigger picture of what's going on here. It says that Daniel was put in charge of the wise men, right? Daniel, he was in charge of the wise men. Have you ever heard the term wise men before? You ever heard that term? I'll point it out to you in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. Brett, will you put the picture, the map up there of where Israel is and where Babylon is? You got Israel over here. You got Babylon over there. Not just the province of Babylon, but the city of Babylon over here. Jerusalem over here. Bethlehem. All of Israel's over there where you see Canaan. What direction is Babylon from Israel? It's east, right? It's east. So some wise men from the east come to worship Jesus. When he is born. Now I want you to understand about these, these wise men. Sometimes you hear them referred to as the Magi. You ever heard that term? The Magi. The Magi is another name for these wise men that the book of Daniel is talking about here. See, the, the, the Magi are actually a group of people, a portion, these, they're actually priestly people. In a group of people called the Medes. There's the Medes and the Persians. And, and the group of Medes, they, ha they have this very priestly organization called the Magi. And the Medes and the Persians are there throughout history. And they're actually there in the book of Daniel in the province of Babylon. And they're the ones that are the astrologers. The ones that are the, the soothsayers, the enchanters, the ones that are are constantly looking to the stars for information. They're, they're looking upwards in order to be able to see things and understand about all the many things that are going on in the world, okay? They're very educated people. 
You know that Daniel and his boys, they were, all, they were raised up and they were trained and they were very educated. And they were educated in the ways of the Medes and the Persians, okay? They were trained up and then they were put in this group of wise men called the Magi. Now we look in Matthew chapter 2 and we see some guys coming from the east. And these are some Magi. Now where in the world would a bunch of stargazers from the east get word of a king that was going to be born over in Israel somewhere. Where in the world would they get such a notion that there is going to be a king, a Messiah that would be born one day and he's going to be somewhere over in, 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 in Bethlehem? Where in the world would they get that information? Because these are a bunch of people that have no information about the Old Testament, the truth of the one true God. And now all of a sudden you've got a guy named Daniel that's in control and in, and in power over these wise men. Don't you think that maybe he was the one teaching these guys Old Testament prophecy about the fact that there was going to be a Messiah that would soon come, that there would be a Messiah, you know, from five, six hundred years later, that they need to constantly be watching the stars to see that there is going to be a king that is going to be born in Israel one day, and he is going to be the king of the Jews? You see, these magi, their responsibility was that once they trained up these young men in the ways of the Medes and the Persians, once they trained them up, they were the one to say, okay, now he's ready to be king. They were kingmakers is what they were. That was their responsibility. They were supposed to raise them up and pronounce them to be king. Jesus was born in a place where they did not recognize him as king. Jesus was born in a place where they did not acknowledge him as king. He was born in a, in a lonely manger. He was, he, he was recognized by some shepherds. And now, God is using some men from the east that had gotten word from a guy named Daniel about this king that would one day be born. This message has been passed on. And some 500 years later, these kingmakers come from the east and they say, we found a king. We've been looking for the king. We've been looking into the stars. Because that's where they looked, right? That's where they looked. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, it says, They saw, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered into the house, saw the child and with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The people of Israel did not recognize Jesus as a king. But God's plan had been at work all the way back to the book of Daniel, where Daniel had been put in control of this group of people called the Magi. God had been working this whole thing out, that all these pieces were being put together, and now what has happened is, is that God's plan it's, it's, it's coming to fruition. That people are seeing now that, that Jesus indeed is king. These pagan kingmakers have now showed up. And now they're in the presence of the one true king. They're in the presence of the real king. And what do they do? They, these are, are, are pagan people. They've just gotten word that, that, that there is a king to be born. They fall down and they worship him. Because they acknowledge that he's king. I want you to know something today. Whether you recognize it or not, he's king. Whether you acknowledge it or not, he's king. 
Whether you believe in your heart that he's in control of everything, he's in control of everything. Whether you acknowledge him before men, he is still above every man. He is above every king. Whether he rules and reigns in your life, you acknowledge that he rules and reigns in your life, he rules and reigns in your life. The difference is, do you trust him? Do you acknowledge that he's the one that's in control? Do you acknowledge that that he's the real thing? That he's not some false God. He's not some pretend God. He's not some made-up God. Do you know that if you don't worship him, that even the stones will cry out? That he'll be worshipped one way or another. And you've got a choice in your life. Either to say, God is the real thing. Or he's not. But either way, he's the real thing. You want peace in your life. You find yourself in a foreign place. You find yourself maybe just somewhere you never expected yourself to be. And you know, you hear people say all the time that God is in control, that God is doing something great, that God is working something out. But my question to you is this. Do you acknowledge him as king? Or have you just heard about him being king? Whoever you are, wherever you are, We talked about, are you broken and are you hurting within? Are are you filled with this this overwhelming sense of this burden of your sin? Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. You know what he's calling? He's, He's calling you to do this. To acknowledge him as king. To put your faith and trust in him. And to bow down before him. And worship him just like these pagan kingmakers did. They brought to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought to him gold, which is precious and fine. Frankincense and myrrh were funeral spices. Why would you bring a baby funeral spices? Because from the very time he was born, he was destined to die. See, God was working out a plan. Even from the very time that he was in the house with his with his parents, God was working out a plan. And they look and they see these guys coming from the east. And, I'm, and then, by the way, there wasn't just three of them. They would have shown up with a whole Persian army. Likely well, there would have been a ton of them. And they, just because there were three gifts they gave, it doesn't mean that there were just three of them. It, they just showed up and they, they gave him these gifts and they acknowledged him as king. And God was working out that this little baby would eventually die. This little baby's life would end. You know what that purpose was? That purpose was for you. That purpose was so that you would have a way. That you don't have to be overwhelmed and burdened. That you can come to him. You can come to his altar. You can bow down and you can worship him. You know what gift he asks from you? is not gold and frankincense and myrrh. He says, come and give me your life. The most precious thing that you can offer, come and give it to me. And trust me with it. I am king, and I am the ruler of everything. Now just give it to me, what I already own. And that's what he's asking you to do. You'll never have real peace and contentment and joy until you do. You'll always be searching. You'll always be looking. When the difficult times come and you find yourself in a strange place, you'll have heard things, but they won't be real to you. So who do you say that he is? Is he king to you? Let me pray. Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you for giving us a king. Thank you for ruling and reigning even though people don't always acknowledge you as king Lord I thank you most of all for that baby that baby that was born 
and these magi that came, these kingmakers that showed up at his doorstep to crown him as king. Though no one, no one in Israel acknowledged him as king, he was still king. Lord, I, I'm afraid that there are people maybe within this room they may have heard about the king, but they have never acknowledged him as king. Uh, they're searching, they're looking. Maybe they're looking into the sky saying, God, where are you? Where are you? God, I pray that they would find you. They'd find that star in the sky that leads them straight to Jesus. Lord, may we always be looking for Jesus. May we always be looking for the king. May we always be acknowledging that he is indeed in control. I'm so burdened by the people that don't know him. I pray that you would just reveal yourself to them. And they might fall down and worship him today. May they might give their life to you today. And you might receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone stand?